Church, please join me as we look to God in prayer. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our Saviour. In Jesus' name, Amen. Please be seated. This weekend, we mark the beginning of Advent, and Advent is a time where we remember the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the same time, it's also a time where we prepare for His second coming. Interestingly, the lectionary readings for this season, which our sermon texts are taken from, has a strong emphasis on the urgency of time. This is a hard topic, but an important one as we reflect on the season that we are in, the urgency of time. When a friend was told that she had a few months left to leave from a late-stage cancer, instead of withdrawing, she devoted her remaining time to do only one thing, to share the gospel with as many people as possible. She shared with her family members, her colleagues, friends, neighbours. Sometimes she would even go to the market and coffee shops to share the gospel with strangers. I had the joy of baptising some of family members before she passed on. Somehow, when we knew that we have, were left with only a limited amount of time, we adopt a very different perspective and posture to life. Yet, when repeatedly warned of the urgency of time, to be ready for the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we give so little attention to how we live as believers, as Christians, and we give so little attention on how we are to be effective witnesses for Jesus Christ. Paul warned, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. And our Lord Jesus also warned through the gospel reading that was just read for us, therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Are we, church, taking the warning of the end of time seriously? In our text today from Romans chapter 8, Paul appealed to the church to live with a sense of urgency and with a Christ-centered faith in the remaining time that we may have. First, a sense of urgency. Paul began by reminding the church, you know the time, verse 11. Believers in the early church were taught to prepare for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, a great deal of attention and work were put in to prepare them for our Lord's second coming. And we see that in the apostles' teaching in the New Testament, calling believers to be awake and to watch for our Lord's return. However, Christians in Rome were spiritually asleep. They have gone to church for the longest time for years and they had perfect Sunday church attendance, but there was no change in their spiritual lives. Hence, Paul's wake-up call, wake up church, the time is now. Get right with God, get our relationship right with God, for it will soon be too late. Are we too in this state of spiritual slumber? Have we indulged so much in the things of this world that we have neglected our spiritual life? Rome in the first century was a city of great prosperity, 
very much like modern cities today. And we can see in this picture the artist's impression of Rome in the first century. Beautiful, gorgeous, splendor. Rome was the financial, political, and military center of the Roman Empire and the world in those days. Rome was also a place of great business opportunities. Becoming rich in Rome was the dream of every trader, every businessman from as far as Arabia, China, and India. But socially, morally, and spiritually, Rome was a place of deep, deep darkness. Rome was so divided in their social classes, the elites versus the slaves. But one thing was common across all social classes. People in Rome were crazy about becoming rich. Even the slaves, even among the slaves, there are different classes and they all wanted to be rich. And last week, Reverend Andrew mentioned a crazy rich Asian. People in Rome were the crazy rich Romans of the first century. Rome was also filled with all kinds of licentious lifestyles, from orgies, incest, sexual immorality, same-sex relationship. And can you imagine finding sexual services in a place of worship? Historian Josephus wrote, men and women frequent the temple and we may be thinking that they are going there to pray. No, but they were there for prostitutes as a form of worship to the goddess of fertility. Spiritual people in Rome, spiritually people in Rome worship many gods. They worship the Greek gods, emperor worship, demigods, and other forms of pagan worship. This culture was so entrenched in the lives of the people in Rome. Given the kind of social, moral, and spiritual influences, it was easy for Christians in those days who were mostly pagan worshippers before their conversion to Christianity to, to be drawn back into a sinful and pagan lifestyles, back to their old ways of living. Unfortunately, when it comes to living biblically, we can be so lured by the lies of Satan to live our old ways of living, our old lives, while professing to be Christians. We often feel no urgency to live right with God, and instead we choose first to fulfill our human desires. Live for the now, we tell ourselves, and we rationalize. It's okay, when the day gets nearer, I will sort out my life. If that's what we are thinking, we need to hear this warning from our Lord in Revelation chapter 16. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on that he might not go naked and be exposed. Focus here is on staying awake. And Jesus is saying that he will come at a time that we do not expect, that we do not know, but we need to be awake. We need to be ready. Having pastored for nearly 30 years, it's always sad to see people who profess to be Christians drifting through life. Like sleepwalkers who never take opportunities to live for Christ and to serve Him. One common grief I often hear from Christians in their last moments is their regret for not spending enough time with their family members, their loved ones, and for not 
taking their relationship with God seriously. Church, are we going through the motion of church but have no real relationship with God and have no urgency for the things of God? The pleasure of living a sinful life lasts for a moment and it ends in hell. But the pleasure of living a Christ-centered life is eternal and leads to heaven. We have been chosen by God to receive eternal life, this salvation in Christ. We should not neglect the need for us to live right with God and to be effective witnesses for Christ. Today, there is greater urgency as we consider what is happening around in our world. We need to be concerned because the sign for the end of time has become clearer and even more profound. The rise of false prophets, false teaching, the love of believers growing cold, Christians abandoning their faith, the rejection of biblical moral values, wars, the political turmoils, conflicts in the world, the many earthquakes, natural disasters, and let's not forget the pestilences like COVID, they're still around, haunting us, and people dying of hunger because of food shortages. The second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ is perhaps drawing nearer than we first believe. The night is gone, my friends, and the day is at hand. We need to be awakened from our spiritual slumber. We need to overcome our spiritual lethargy with a new sense of urgency for the things of God. I want to encourage us to focus on four basic spiritual disciplines to remain spiritually alert in the time that we are in. Firstly, prioritize reading and the studying of God's Word because this is the light God's life to guide us in our living, in our truth. Secondly, to prioritize personal and corporate prayer. Thirdly, to prioritize cell group as part of our community life and growth. And fourthly, to prioritize personal evangelism. It is in keeping these basic spiritual disciplines that we do not allow ourselves to fall into spiritual slumber. Next, we are to live a Christ-centered faith. It was Billy Graham who said the way we live is often more convincing than the words we say. Billy Graham is not saying that evangelism is not important, but he was concerned with how we as Christians reflect the image of our Lord Jesus Christ to our world, to the people whom we surround ourselves with each day. Do people see hope? Do people see the light of Christ through us? Especially in this darkened world, in the time that we are in, do people sense that there's hope in our Lord Jesus Christ? Do people see the need to follow Christ through the way we live our Christian faith? How are we to live this Christ-centered faith? Paul, from verses 12 to 14, used the metaphor of wearing the armour to describe the casting off of darkness and the putting on 
of light. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness. Verse 12. The phrase cast off is interpreted as lay aside, put aside, or throw away in some Bible translations. Regardless, cast off in Greek implies that something is being permanently removed. Paul is calling us to permanently remove darkness in our lives. Darkness is the absence of light. When we block the source of light, we get darkness. Sin is what blocks the source of light, which is Christ, that causes us to live in spiritual darkness. So then, how are we to put on this armour of light? Paul, in verses 12 to 14, helps us understand this very important spiritual concept. To put on the armour of light, we need to first cast off darkness. Let me illustrate it with this picture on the screen. Can we have the next picture, please? Imagine that we are the vessel. The light cannot penetrate through because the vessel is filled with rocks which represent sins and darkness in our lives. And you will see on this picture the shadow on the table. Light cannot penetrate through. So to put on the light, we need to first remove the rocks. We need to cast off. We need to permanently remove sins and darkness from within us. Paul listed six kinds of darkness in verse 13. Let me read for us. And he says, Orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual morality, sensuality, and not in quarreling and jealousy. These six can be grouped into three different challenges that we face daily. Worldly pleasures, sexual desires, and relationships with one another. Worldly pleasures are things, activities, and events that gives us instant happiness. Things that we may buy, have, things that we do that gives us this joy, gratification, satisfaction. And people in the first century Rome had indulged in many kinds of worldly pleasures, and I'll mention just one. They devoted a large part of their time to partying, entertainment, and drinking. People would go from one party to another, and they would go to bed drunk and then wake up to get drunk again. That's life in Rome in the first century. That was their way of life to show off their social status, their achievements, and their wealth. I hope none of us are living the kind of lifestyle. But what would you do? What would you do if you are a member of the first century Roman church? Will you engage in such worldly pleasures? Or will you choose to disengage yourself from the norms? And are you prepared to lose business deals, opportunities that could enhance your business or your career? Will you instead choose to remain firm in your Christian faith? What kind of testimony are we as Christians to the world who is watching? Next, Paul addressed the issue of sexual desires. Rome was filled with sexual immorality, incest, adultery, prostitution, same-sex relationship. Sadly, today Christians have openly or secretly cross the line to satisfy 
their sexual desires, from adulterous relationship to prostitutions and pornography. We often read about Christian leaders and pastors who have fallen. What about us? Overcoming sexual desire is a huge topic because of time, I just want to focus on the issue of pornography. In his keynote address at Set Free 2019 conference in Singapore, Josh McDowell pointed out that it's a silent killer, a cancer that is quietly destroying families and the church today. And that's pornography. According to a survey by Focus on the Family Singapore, 51% of our Christian youth and young adults in Singapore have viewed pornography at least once in 2018. And on the screen, this other research by Banner Group shows that 68% of men in church watch pornography. And men are not the only one addicted to pornography. If we are to add women who are addicted to the list, you will realize that pornography is a serious issue in church, which we don't want to talk about, and something that we have quietly swept under the carpet. Pornography is not a new issue, but with the internet, it has become so easily available. Contents are being delivered sometimes to us, even if you didn't ask for it. Pornography is an addiction that creates unrealistic expectations about a spouse, and it breaks down relationships between married couples. And it will eventually break down the church. We need to confront this issue. We need to confront pornography. And it needs to be permanently cast off or removed. And unless we, we replace our quest for sexual lust with biblical sexuality, we can be certain that the internet will take over the job in educating our children, our next generation, and in educating us about sexuality. We need to deal with this issue. And as in any form of addiction, we need help. We need help to overcome. Our member care ministry is working with an external agency specializing in helping Christians to overcome addiction. So please look out for more information. What is important is we need to know that unless this issue of sexual lust is being dealt with, with help and by the grace and, and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we will be tempted again and again to sin against God. Jesus said, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Matthew 5, 28. The third area of challenge that Paul addressed is our relationship with one another. And here, Paul was referring to the impaired and broken relationship between the Jewish and the Gentile Christians. Why should anyone be interested in becoming part of our community if all they see are Christians fighting one another over small petty issues and unimportant issues that does not lead to salvation? We are already having enough troubles in our world. Why should anyone be interested in a community where people do not love, do not care, and have no compassion for one another? What about St. Andrew 
cathedral. What kind of community are we? And I want to say to us, we must never take unity in cathedral for granted. Unity is our ex- the expression of our love for one another, and unity is our expression for how God has called us to care, to reach out to people who are in need of knowing and hearing the gospel. Jesus said, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And now allow me to just summarize what I've shared so far. We are called to live a renewed life and to experience the power of salvation. To do so, we need to cast off the works of darkness so that we make no provision for the flesh. To gratify its desire, verse 14. To cast off darkness is to permanently remove or to empty out the spiritual garbage in our lives before we are able to put on the armour of light. To put on the armour of light, verse 12, to walk properly in the daytime, verse 13, and to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 14, is to fulfil our responsibility as the light of the world. And I will say more about that at our covenant service. This, my friends, is our Christian faith, guided by the truth of God so that we can truly reflect the image of Christ to our world, expressed through our love for one another, our compassion for the poor and needy, our reliance on our Lord Jesus Christ, and our Christian witness as disciples of Jesus Christ. We only have one life to live, and in the limited time that we have on this side of eternity, some three scores and ten, others four scores and ten, and maybe others even more, let's live well, and let's end well for God's glory. Many of us are familiar with the name St. Augustine. Augustine is known as one of the most important church fathers of our time. But do you know that Augustine didn't begin as a spiritual giant in life? Born into a wealthy family, he was raised by his Christian mother to be a believer. But he was never interested in God. Instead, he lived a flamboyant lifestyle and he fell deeply into sin. He had indulged in all kinds of worldly pleasures and sexual immorality. You name it, partying, drinking, orgies, gambling, all kinds of vices. And he had many unwholesome relationships with women. Augustine's life was a complete mess. His father, his very own father, his family, had written him off. But in the summer of 8386, while lecturing in Milan, Italy, Augustine had the miraculous encounter with God. One day, while he was out in the open of campus, Augustine heard the voices of children singing in Latin, tole lig, tole lig, which means take up and read, take up and read. Sensing that God was asking him to open up the Bible to read, Augustine ran into a nearby cathedral, randomly flipped the Bible, and this was what he saw and read from the Bible. Not in orgies and drunkenness, 
not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarrelling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desire. That's right. Augustine read Romans chapter 13, verses 13 to 14, our sermon text for today. And that changed his life. Augustine turned from his sinful lifestyle and was baptized a year later at the age of 33. And later, reflecting on his experience, he wrote this prayer. You have made us for yourself, Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Augustine went on to be the authority on Christian spirituality and doctrines and was subsequently consecrated as the Bishop of Hippo or the modern Algeria in AD 396. I share his story to tell us that it's never too late and nothing is impossible with God. No matter what you have been through, where you have been in your faith, and how far away you might be from God, and even if you are feeling today that you're not good enough because you've been rejected by people or even institutions, you need to go know that God has not rejected you and God will not reject you. If God can change and transform a, a wretched man like Augustine to become an effective minister, to bear the light as a witness for Christ, there is hope. There is hope for each and every one of us. Let us pray. Lord, forgive us for our persistent indulgence of darkness. We have become so comfortable with darkness that we have forgotten your call to live as your light to the world. So help us, Lord, today, enable us with your Holy Spirit to help us cast off darkness. And Lord, you know, as your Holy Spirit searches our hearts, areas of our lives which we need to surrender, we need to cast off, to permanently remove. Give us this grace, we pray, Lord, so that we may be able to put on the light of Christ so that we can effectively draw people to know you and to experience the love of our Saviour through how we live our Christ-centred faith. And all this we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you.